listening to the Taming Hinges podcast. Conversations about self-awareness and mental health. We talk about anything and everything on the podcast. Real experiences, real life. Come get triggered. My name is Phil. I'm the host and creator of the podcast. And today's topic is reality. Um, the first couple episodes of the podcast, we talked about a couple different things. And this is the culmination of those few things into the idea of reality and how we create the reality in which we exist in. And I know that sounds a little out there to get started, but that's kind of where things go from here. Things go into the woo. Things go into the the unexpected and the places that we don't always think about when it comes to self-awareness and mental health. And not just those things, but also things that make our everyday lives run in different ways to create more of an awareness overall. Not just in the mental health world, not just in the self-awareness world. Awareness overall, awareness throughout just life in general, and that's reality. Reality is the awareness of the things that are going on around us and the way we perceive it and see it, and thus you create your own reality. So, so far we've talked about education, we've talked about belief, language, relationships, emotion. These things culminate into a reality, and reality is definable, it is understandable, it is a little weird. The way in which you define your reality can have a basis in the things that we've discussed so far. So your education has a lot to do with the reality in which you exist in. Your education will give you a basis for what you believe. So your education builds your belief system. However you were educated or however you educate yourself has a very big effect on what you're going to believe and what you're not going to believe. And not to say that reality requires some level of belief, but it, it, re it requires a belief in structures or systems or some sort of fabrical work to create a situation in which you exist in. We do that as a human being in a couple different ways. Um, so, Education does have a, a manipulation to our belief structures, but our belief structures come on very quickly as we, you know, go from a child to a, an adolescent to an adult. And that's where language comes in because we've talked about how language is the way in which we interpret the things around us. And the language that we then surround ourselves with has a huge effect on our interpretation of the world around us. And that's part of our reality as well. This culminates itself into our relationships, which we've discussed, and how not just personal, everyday relationships between, you know, ourselves and our, our social network or our work network, network network, but also inanimate objects and other ideas and thoughts. What are our relationships with food? What are our relationships with coping mechanisms? What are our relationships with enjoyment? those types of things. So relationships on the broader spectrum and then how those 
and all the other things affect us on the emotional level and how our emotions give us a really good perspective on the way we're seeing things. And there is an emotional response to the reality in which we live in and also the reality we create therefrom in us, our emotions. Let's take a real easy one as an example. So from the top educational system, right? What have we been educated to believe those types of things? You know, the language thereof, if we're using an emotional response to dictate our reality, we can look at sadness. Sadness is pretty common for everyone to have felt at some point in their life from the tiny child who loses their first piece of candy on the ground and realizes how terrible of an idea it is to pick that up and put it in your mouth to the sadness that can come from losing a loved one or the sadness that can come from just disparity of loss in general. That comes from an educational system, which builds upon a belief system, belief system, which is then surrounded by a language which permeates our relationships and eventually gives us an emotional response. An emotional response we're probably already primed to have. I've read some research on how we prime ourselves for being ready. You know, we have a situational awareness and a situational, you know, readiness towards just our surroundings in general. This is a survival instinct, to be honest. We are constantly looking for anything that might want to kill us, anything that might hinder what we're doing, anything that might be dangerous to us. Um, parents are constantly in an awareness set of being in a response to, is the, is the child screaming? Is the child, you know, hurt? those types of things. So we're, we're primed to be aware. And there's been some research and study into how the cognitive functions of the brain are priming what our response is going to be. And then it's already ready to do it. So we're not necessarily waiting to calculate the response. The response is ready to go. And this can be looked at at an emotional level. It is quite often very easy to have a social emotional response when we're in a very emotional driven you know, situation. Let's take a funeral, for example. At a funeral, it's pretty easy for people to start crying because that is a primed emotional response that there was loss and now there's grief. And, you know, everyone is sharing in that experience and thus that emotional response can happen quickly. The opposite is true as well. You know, everything has to have a balance as above, so below. If you're in a movie theater and you're watching a comedy movie and let's say the movie theater is fairly full, there's a primed response of laughter ready to go for anything, you know, that comes out that's funny, you know, a joke on this, on the movie or, you know, or the, the rest of the audience laughing as well. We have those emotional structures kind of, primed and ready to go specifically when it comes to social responses. And now why does that matter in any way? Well, if we're priming ourselves for these responses, we are priming ourselves for the reality in which we exist in. Our education builds our beliefs. 
our beliefs are kind of a, a baseline structure for the reality we imply to the world around us. There are some immutable ideas of reality. One, we deal with physics. Specifically, we have a large study into Newtonian physics. I, I like Newtonian physics. It works when necessary. There's some relative physics out there also works inside of its system. These are systems of physics. Physics as a whole, I like to look at etheric physics. I'm particularly into the etheric physics world, which is a little bit broader in spectrum and has a lot to do with magnetism and the uh, etheric side of things, which is the dielectric, where the two sides of a magnetic equation cross over each other and we get this point dielectric point which is where all light comes from but that's a that's a bigger broader topic we can get into at a different time but that's my belief structure of physics i use the etheric physics that i know i'm still learning at this point but that gives me the broad spectrum of physics that i pay attention to thus it's my imposed reality or the basis of the reality therefrom. so what is that matter and why does that matter in this situation well if we're looking at imposed realities belief structure and education thereof is a really good part to look at where reality can separate from actual reality the actual reality we live in is all around us all the time and a lot of philosophical writing has been done on the topic of reality. There's also been a lot of writing done on the topic of reality shifts or paradigms. These types of things where we can alter the reality we exist in or alter our way of seeing reality. All psychedelic drugs fall in that category of a paradigm shift of reality. Is it more real? Maybe. That's the conversation that really most of this stuff devolves into. And I'm going to try to avoid that here today. I'm going to try to avoid the complicated discussion of what is real. The honest truth in my book is real is what you make it. Real is a defined perception of reality. What we choose to believe is real has to do with that education, beliefs, language, relationships, emotions, and all of these different structures we're using to intake information and apply information to our surroundings with. So, like I said, a lot of things have been written about reality. Where does reality really fit into mental health and self-awareness? This was a topic I've spent probably my entire life trying to figure out. And I'm here to say, I don't have it completely figured out, but here's where I'm at now. And maybe it'll give you a good starting point or a focal point or just a jumping off point in general to work from. I've learned you can impose reality on others. You can impose your reality on someone else. There are different methodologies in which to do that from. I've also learned that this is the shift of reality from what is real. So that's, that's the conversation that we often devolve into, again, trying to avoid that today. But there is a firm reality 
it's known as the firmament. In etheric physics, that would be the physical things you can touch around you, Newtonian physics, relative physics, those things. That is the firmament in which we live in. And then there is reality as defined by basis, and basis comes from your way of thinking or, or way of interpreting that firmament. So if we have basis of reality, which is a step above reality, actually, then we have perceived reality. And that's where the psychedelics and all those types of things, and even just debate and conversation get into, where we can apply our reality to someone else. In the martial arts world, this is used quite often. In the martial arts world, the physical representation of reality is inside of, at all times, the human system. In particular, the Chinese arts use a three-perspective idea. And to be honest, uh, some of the other arts, almost all of the arts, have some idea of this, this three pieces of, of perception in what is the physical reality that's being implied or being received. And this is the internal, internal essentially, firmament or what's happening internally in the body. Then there's the external. So we have internal and external. Uh, this is Nagong and Shigong in um, the Chinese world. And then there's the mind body. So you have, it, it really gets layered on. So you have internal and then you have physical external, and then you have the presence, the, the, or, or the presence of your mind body awareness. And that's, that's the mental body. In a lot of meditation systems, they have something something uh, similar in idea. And in most of the Greek writings, um, like Iamblichus uh, on um, Iamblichus's um, vehicle of the soul, there is always a conversation. Most of the Platonic writers, most of the, just about almost every philo philosophical metaphysics combination is writing about this reality shift, this paradigm idea of the internal encompassment, the physical encompassment, and then what is poorly labeled as the spiritual encompassment. In uh, Chinese traditional medicine, we call this Shen. It's the spirit. It's the it's the presence outside of the body, but it's it's projected from the internal mind. It's an, it's projected from the mind body. So you have spiritual body, shen body, then you have the mind body, and then you have the physical body. So there's these three layers, and I find the three layer system or three layer thought process is really pretty common everywhere. I would I wouldn't go as far as calling it a, a principal idea yet. I'm getting close to calling it that because it is shared quite often throughout all systems I've ever seen. But there's always that possibility that there's a system that is better and does it wrong. The system I reference in the martial arts world is Tai Chi. Tai Chi is often seen as a very health-oriented practice, slow, methodical movements, relying on breath and motion. The reality of that is it's that's the Tai Chi you see because that's the Tai Chi that's most commonly practiced. 
Tai Chi as a whole system is based on the families, the m- major families being the Yang uh, and Chen and Sun. Those are the major family um, practices. So it's it's uh, such as you hear things like, if you hear the word gar, that means family, which is a lineage unit. It doesn't have to be blood. It, it, it's the li- family lineage of that teaching set. Specifically, you might hear the words Hungar, that's Hung family, or Laogar, that's the Lao family lineage. Of Then those are two of the major tiger Shaolin methods. You know, so emulation of the tiger through either Hungar or Laogar, those are the family practitions. We get similar things when we look at um, Karate. So you, you'll usually hear a family lineage of Karate. So you might have um, Ikiryo, um, Shoujo Ryo, you know, you'll have a specific lineage teaching method of that type of karate. So this is it's fairly common to have these projections from family lineage orientations. Um, I'm not sure what the wording is for the Muay Thai or those um, family lineages. I'm not sure if they have that, but it, it's pretty common for almost any martial arts system to have a lineage of presentation, teaching, instruction methods, system-wide, you know, these set forms or these set motions. In the MMA world, it, it typically comes down to the camp. They fight for, you know, they come from the Renzi Gracio family of BJJ. That's a, that's a camp of Renzo Gracie BJJ, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu from the Renzo Gracie family, those types of things. Why that's important is because in Tai Chi, we have these family lineages and the Tai Chi that we see practiced, similar to, you know, if we look at the MMA world, there's a specific type of practice. And we can take this one step farther and look at just the corporate world of a corporate America, you know, Starbucks versus Dunkin' Donuts, how they serve your coffee. They're taught a method in which to do that, you know? So there's always this progression of this is the method taught. This is how it's presented. And you're going to get the reality of this is what you see. And then this is what's really going on. And we don't often see what's really going on. We often just see what the end result is. And in Tai Chi, the end result is typically someone standing in a park doing very slow methodical methods of movement that are part of a form. Um, A common other way to see this is yogic practice. You see a set of yogic moves. You see a a yogic pose. And that's what you get the end result of. Well, the reality here is there's a whole other part of these things we never see. I use Tai Chi as an example because it's the one I'm most familiar with. And it's really where I started to see a differentiation and a shift of the reality of training and the reality of presentation. This is why they call them martial arts. They're a, there's a difference between being a martialist, which is what I was trained to be, and being a martial artist. Um, Guaosho and like um, Shaolin stuff that we see as a presentation is much different than their training methods, much different than what they are actually in reality. So, 
back to the Tai Chi example, you have Tai Chi and you see this person and they're practicing and it's slow and it looks like it's all health based and you know, it's for, you know, stretch and move and open the meridian points and all these other things we can claim. Well, if you actually train in like the depths of Tai Chi as I have, it's a very violent art. It, I, other than like Salat Sulagayun, uh, which is Malaysian, um, tiger, uh, who were like, they hide like knives and, you know, anywhere <laughs> like possible or, uh, Krav Maga can be very violent. Um, like the, like the arts that came from, like they became an art after they were born and raised as a fighting form for a cultural system that was in a warring period. Like if you look at like samurai, Kenjutsu, um, those types of like Akiro, they came from a warring period of, you know, either learn this or die essentially in, in war. And Tai Chi was similar. So there are some arts out there that are extremely violent. Tai Chi is one of them. We just never see it because it's not practiced that way anymore. But the reality is Tai Chi was considered the grand ultimate. It was the epitome of fluid motion by practicing it. You built health. That was the first thing you, you learned how to do the poses, which are very similar to the yoga poses, to be honest. And then you learned how to do, you know, you had poses and stances and then there was a way to flow through them, a movement system that involved breathing and one, uh, one fist from ear and principle level movement techniques that built health and also built that Shen, that spiritual health by the breathing exercises and the Qigong that went into it. So you had Nagong movement, Qigong health practice, and then there was the physical side of it. And it is very violent. Combative Tai Chi is one of the most violent things I've ever seen. Uh, that movie Counter Reeves did, Man of Tai Chi, did it a great... I, I think they portrayed it very well as far as how violent it could be and how, like, the really the reality is, like, not to be violent with it. But it missed the absolute brutality of it. Like, it didn't actually get far enough. Which is good. I mean, like, no one, you know, didn't need to be, like, slaughtering people. But there are movements in Tai Chi that are simply built to destroy your opponent within seconds. Just absolutely decimate them while fighting other multiple opponents. It's, trust me, it's very brutal. If you ever get the chance to see, like, a real Chen Tai Chi practitioner who is actually defending themselves, it is going to be horrendously violent. Might make you ill. Like they, the movements are designed to incapacitate or kill instantaneously as quickly as possible. And we call this creation of balance. You're like, Phil, you're way off here in left field with this martial arts stuff right now. Well, this is where I learned the representation of not only the reality we see and perceive because it's being presented to us as a presentation and the reality that comes from all the things behind that system but also the implication of implying your reality to the world around you. Chen Tai Chi taught me that if I wanted to apply my reality to the situation, 
I could. There was a method for that. And the method was complicated. It had to do with this three-body system and how the mind really is the control center of the body, but it's it's the place where the reality shifts from we constantly think our mind is in control of everything around us. And that's not always true. One of the greatest things I learned while learning Chen Tai Chi was the body is the student. Well, the body is the teacher. The mind is the student. We call it in some places, beginner mind. That's one of the philosophical sayings you might hear is to have a beginner's mind in, in the martial arts world. or in the Greek, um, Platonic learning methods is to always have this beginner's mind. Some martial arts might call it white belt mind. And that beginner's mind is a cultivation of a reality. And I use cultivations very specifically because it, it, you have to cultivate a beginner's mind. It cultivates a reality in which you are constantly learning. The mind is constantly coming from a perspective of, I can learn more. There's more here to learn. There's more to find. There's more to seek. There's more to, I'm not, I don't want to call it humbleness, but there is some humbleness behind it. It brings you down. I'm not a master. I'm not a professional. I'm not the best at this. I can be better. I can seek more. And that's beginner's mind. And if you cultivate beginner's mind, your reality quickly becomes a presentation. And that presentation is often seen as being humble maybe being stoic. So there's a bigger topic here, which is I'm attempting to tie back in. That topic is what is the reality you're cultivating? What is the reality you're implying to the world around you? What are you trying to make other people see? Are you doing yourself a disservice by trying to make everyone see some sort of lie, some sort of slightly untrue, slightly manipulative version of you. I, I've done it my entire life. So I'm not trying to fault you on this, but I'd like you to think about it. I'd like you to think about what is the reality you are trying to impose on the world around you? Because we are always in constant form. The human system is almost designed to do it. This is where anxiety and fear and these types of things come into of what is, what is control? How do we control the world around us? Well, the reality to that, and this is where it gets complicated because I'm trying not to get into the what's real, what's not real conversation the reality of trying to control the world around us is we can't. We can apply things to it. That's where physics come in in the, in the, in the, in the firmament. You know, I can use Newtonian physics to throw something at you. I can imply the physical movement to try to control a situation maybe. I can use the firmament, the physical reality, the physical body to put you in a Camaro and Uma Plata or, you know, put you in a rear naked choke or, you know, be violent. I can use violence to control a grappling situation. 
I can use the mental mind and add that to the physical mind and, and vibrate my vocal cords to speak and to try to coerce you into something if I want to try to be manipulative or maybe I can debate you on a topic, try to change your mind, try to be persuasive. All persuasive writing that you know you did in school and all that persuasive writing you read online and in pieces that are trying to change your opinion is an implication of implying your reality onto someone else's. In this case, if you're reading a persuasive writing piece, that writer is trying to imply their reality upon you. In the martial arts world, there's many, 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 many different ways to try to do this. One of the ones I'm most likely to use in a situation is eye contact. Eye contact can be very uncomfortable for some people. And the martial arts world uses a very specific type of eye contact. Some martial artists I've spoken to, um, and also this goes beyond the martial arts world, although I think some people have learned it from it and then used it to apply to their own reality, their own business doings, is in a business or meeting situation, you might see someone who doesn't want to make eye contact or is really forceful with the eye contact they make. And this is a, a method of implying your reality. There is a way, if I don't know if you've ever experienced it, but I certainly have, of looking through. You can look through someone very, you know, to a deep level or look into. There's two methods um, that I'm trained in, if I can put it that way. There's looking through someone, which is a, it's a, it's a focal shift that can be unsettling. And then there's to look into. And to look into is... I don't want to call it more unsettling, but it's usually the one that can get the most physical reaction out of someone in the way of, of disheveling them to gain control over their movements. Um, I kind of feel bad that I keep falling back onto martial arts in this conversation, but it's, it's where I learned reality from in a combative situation. If I am to look into someone, it's to get them to move in a way they don't want to. And I've seen this used in conversation where someone will blatantly and forcefully put out their point and then stare the opponent down in maybe a debate situation or in an argument situation. They will stare that person down to get them to cave in because it's uncomfortable. They don't, they don't want, okay, fine. Like I give, I give in. That's implication of implying reality. You are implying your reality upon the person for whatever reasons, be them nefarious or not. Well, if that's the case, if you can imply reality and you can get some sort of reaction from, then yes, you can, to some degree, control reality, right? You can imply your reality upon, but that has to do with perception, it has to do with education, belief, language, relationships, emotions. You are controlling a piece of the greater whole, and it has to do with the objects in which you're implying that reality to. If it's another human being, 
you're often seeking to control uh, their way of thinking, control their reaction to a situation, but you're implying your reality to that. Sometimes we do it in a beneficial way. We try to imply a commonality to better create and build a relationship. Arguments in a personal relationship are often that. They're an, imp- they're an implication of two imposed realities. So they're, they're maybe at opposite or they're forcefully coming together. And then a conversation has to happen to shift them to mesh together to become a, a combined reality. Unfortunately, money is, is a topic that this often happens with. Um, in a relationship, in a, in a cohabitation situation, it's often that we find money as a topic that has to do with implied realities. One person might think spending lavishly is a great idea. One person might be think being frugal is a better idea. And there has to be a reconciliation of those two realities. And that comes together as a conjoined reality in which that set of people agree upon. And this is where greed reality exists. That's the conversation of what is real. Well, your education is going to help you define that. Or a better way to understand that, as we discussed with education, is what you've been educated to believe, getting now into beliefs, is going to create that representation. What you believe is going to have a little bit more of an impact on that because if you don't believe something and someone else is trying to get you to believe that, well, that's implying realities and that's where realities have to come together and either become a a new perspective or there's going to be a, a shift. Those realities are going to shear from each other. This is what happens in a combative situation where one person goes, I'm going to kick your ass. And the other person goes, no, you're not. And one of those is going to become true. From there, we get the language that's used. And this is where the manipulation can happen. And this is where the fight of reality can happen when we come into a persuasion perspective is with the language being used. And I'm here to tell you that this is an important factor to look at when you look at any article ever written or any podcast you're going to listen to. Remember, I'm just an idiot on the internet. I'm not a professional. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a doctor. I cannot diagnose. I cannot prescribe. I'm not a financial advisor. I can give no financial advice. I'm just an idiot on the internet. You should do your own research and look into things on your own. But the language used is where that fight at the mental level happens. What language is being used? What are they trying to get me to believe here? What are they trying to hide is a better question. How are they trying to hide it? And what language structure are they trying to hide this? And that can bleed into our relationships. And relationships are in and of themselves their own reality and often a paradigm of reality, a shift of reality or maybe a falsity of reality. And they're not, they're not, true reality. They're not truly what's happening. I find this is very common that 
two individuals meet, they build a friendship or a romantic relationship, and it changes the way these individuals see the world around them. It changes their perception of reality, sometimes for the better, sometimes for the worst. This often gets represented in their emotional languages or the emotions they're using. I've seen my own self put myself into a certain set of relationships that didn't benefit me and created emotional shifts that made it hard to see what was real or what wasn't real or to live in a better reality. So this is the overall perspective of what is reality? How do we control it? And where might we use it as a perspective? Reality of itself. What is the reality? Where can we look at reality and go, wait a minute. Is this the reality I want to live in? Is this a positive? Is this a negative? Are all these culminations of things, the language I surround myself with, the people I surround myself with, the emotions I'm constantly feeling, is this the reality being imposed upon me? Or am I implying it? See the the problem there? If we don't understand reality or have a defined place to look at reality from, oftentimes self-awareness can be a really good way to come at that. In my world, I do it from depression. Get into that in a second. But if, if we don't have a place or a perspective to come at reality from, it's hard to tell if someone's implying their reality or if a situation, a group of people, an emotional, tensional response, a bad situation of like money problems or bad work environment, poor education on the subject, lack of education on the subject, misrepresentation of information on the subject, bad belief structures or imposed belief structures, terrible language and definition. If we don't have a way to look at that correctly, or at least from a, an advantage point of like, okay, I can work from this structure and use maybe Greek retroduction or use critical thinking or those types of things. But at least the awareness of like, what type of reality is happening here? Is a reality being imposed upon me from all those things I just discussed? Or am I implying a reality to the situation that also maybe not beneficial or correct in some way. That's really the, where I wanted to get with this subject of reality is complicated. And yes, there's things out there like the secret and like how you can apply your reality to things. Go look at those. Sure. I'm not saying the secret is a problem. I'm not saying, I'm not saying, you know, the law of attraction isn't a real thing. It is, but everything has to have balance. Keep that in mind when you're using the law of attraction. If that's something you're into, everything has to have balance. The law of attraction is implying, it's, it's applying your reality to the world to get what you want. Well, that has implications. 
to reality as a whole. If you're applying it that hard that you get what you want, how are you going about that? Did you hurt someone in that, in that process? You might want to look at that because I've seen that happen a lot. People are all about the law of attraction. I'm going to manifest my dreams and they walk all over people all around them and they get into fights about shit and they, you know, tell people to fuck off. And I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm never here to tell you right or wrong. Don't listen to me about right or wrong. That would be me implying my reality to you. You should decide for yourself. But do you have a good perspective to come at that from? Mine comes from depression. My depression, as I've stated before, is my creativity. It's the way in which I see the world. It is my rose-colored glasses at times. And when it is that, I have to look at it and be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Where's your mindset at here, Phil? Why are you looking at it this way? Why does reality seem so bleak and dreary right now? Are you, are you specifically in that? Are you implying your reality to a situation that's not as bad as you think it is? I guess some people see this, maybe, maybe that's what some people call anxiety to their matter. I kind of wrap that into my depression. So as I've said before, and we'll say multiple times because repetition is the mother of all skill. I can't understand your depression. You can't understand mine. We shouldn't let that stop us from having the conversations about it, but that's the reality of depression. In my book, period, end of sentence. Can't understand your depression. You can't understand mine. I can talk about mine though. I can tell you some shit about it. Maybe it'll spur some thoughts in you and give you something to think about. My depression is a tool. And I use it to look at my reality. And oftentimes I can find myself in that depressive world where it's creating a bleak, dreary, negative reality with no balance. I'm not saying reality is always great. I'm not saying life's all full of fucking gumdrops and rainbows and, you know, people handing out millions of dollars. That's not what I'm saying. In fact, I'll often tell you the opposite. Gandhi was right. The Buddha said, life is suffering. Gandhi chose how to suffer. He chose his suffering. And thus, it wasn't suffering. That's how he went about it. You know, if you want to look at Gandhi's practices from a 30,000 foot view and how he applied the Buddhist teachings or a, a Buddhist idea was that the Buddha said life is suffering. And that's not the, that's not an accurate quote, but that's the one most people hear nowadays. So I go with it. Buddha said the life is suffering. Buddhism talks about suffering. It talks about suffering to give you the representation of how you want to suffer. It gives you choice. A lot of Buddhism is about choice. It's a lot. There's a lot in Buddhism about choice. There's a lot in Zen Buddhism about choice. Chan Buddhism, quite a bit as well. But Zen Buddhism is very specific about choice and how you get to choose things. You get to choose the reality you live in in Zen Buddhism. You also get to shatter that reality when seeking out enlightenment, which is seeking death. Mind you, I've told you that before. The true idea of seeking enlightenment is to seek one's death or death of a piece of oneself, to be enlightened thereof, to die is to be, to physically die is to be enlightened of the mortal coil so we can go back to our natural states. 
That's the idea of Zen Buddhism there. And mind you, I talk about Buddhism without the religious pieces involved because that's the reality of Buddhism. It's not religious. It's not a religion. It's a way of thinking. You can imply religious pieces to it. Shinto Buddhism is the application of religion to Buddhism. There's Shinto Buddhism. It's a very interesting topic. You should go read about it. It has to do with how everything has a spirit, including from the bunny to the tree. There's a spirit involved. It's a very interesting way of looking at the world. And you can look at Hinduism. The isms of Hindu. It's not a religion. Hinduism is the way of the Hindu people. Very profound, very interesting. They've been working on it for a really long time. And you can look at Taoism. The way of the Tao. The way of the way. That's a weird translation, right? Taoism is the translation of Taoism. The way of the way. Tao is way. Ism is a way of, so it's the way of the way. Well, you have the Tao Te Ching. And at the beginning of the Tao Te Ching, it says, the Tao that can be named is not the name for blah, blah, blah. I can't quote it very well, but it talks about naming the way. Now you can't do that. There is no name for it. It is your name for it that matters. So Taoism in itself, its own is a, a way of trying to seek out reality. There's all these different Types. In the Western world, we have um, transcendental meditation. Transcendental meditation is trying to seek a reality outside of the physical to create a world where the mental can flourish. Transcendentalism. You have psychedelic research, LSD, working on uh, PTSD, people who go and take ayahuasca to learn about their life goals. That whole world. There's research to say that we ate as a human species evolving, we ate mushrooms off the ground and created new neural structures, which allowed us to evolve quicker. These are ways reality is defined, ways and reality is implied and perceived. Mine is from my depression. My depression is all encompassing of my personality or my ego commonly referred to as ego. And if you ever want to listen to somebody great that talks about ego is Alan Watts. And Alan Watts says the most egotistical thing you can do is try to eliminate the ego or ego. That's not, you don't try to eliminate the ego. If you were to enlighten yourself from ego, if you were to seek enlightenment from ego, that would be death. The ego is the I. It is self. Ego, ego, it is self. What is your self? What is your Tao? What is your way? Have you ever heard Kung Fu? Maybe you've heard Gong Fu. Gong Fu is your way. The way of you. I have Gong Fu. You have Gong Fu. Gong Fu. That's Kung Fu is the representation of your way in a physical form. Gong Fu is the way of you. So you can have Gong Fu and Kung Fu. Fu is also another way of saying way. Get bad translations abound, so be careful. But these are seekings of way, seeking of reality, seeking of awareness. All of these systems throughout human culture spread far and wide throughout history. Humanity has constantly been seeking truth to reality. My point is, 
if you don't have a place to look from, a place that is yours, a self-awareness, an ego, one that is in check, and one that can be changed, you can't really interact with the other realities around you effectively. In fact, what happens is you get trampled upon and you get caught up in moving along with the crowd and you get caught up in the moment and maybe you make poor decisions because of that or maybe you just don't understand what's going on. You you have a lack of information because someone told you this and, well, really it was that. And this is where I, I fight against talking about what is real and what it is, what isn't real. Because in my mind, that's the same aspect of depression. My depression is mine. Yours is yours. My mental health state creates the reality in which I live in. I think that's true for everyone else. It's just, I can't understand that reality. I can't understand your reality. Your reality is your mental health state. It's your depression. Now, mind you, I don't use depression as a negative term. I use depression in my world as homeostasis. It's a, it's a neutral point because I use that depression as a, a check, as a, as a balance. Depression. Depressure. Depressurize. Depression is... Well, it's complicated, right? It's, it's, it doesn't quite have a definition. We use it as a mood, as a, we use it as a description of a, a bad mood. You know, we use it as a, and yes, the connotation, if you look at the suffixes and everything that goes involved with how words are put together, would give it a negative connotation if you prescribe to that definition. I don't. That's why I say with mental health, not mental illness. There is mental illness. I'm not, not arguing that. There's many mental illnesses. PTSD, anxiety, all sorts of stuff. And each one of those has its own little subject and subtopic. Mental illness is a version of reality. And that's why I say I can't understand your depression. I can't understand your mental illness. I can't understand your mental health state. Nor can you understand mine. It is uniquely who you are. Which means it is the reality you get to create. You get to create that state. You are fully in control of it. I don't care what they say about, oh, no, you can't control your reality. You can't control your mental health. That's not a thing. Bullshit. If someone tells you that, you punch them right in the fucking face. You tell them, shut up. That's not, that's not real. If you keep teaching that, you're imposing the reality that we have no control over ourselves and we are just fucking animals that have... No morals, no ethics, no thought processes. We are not in any way 
some sort of evolved idea or evolving idea. You have now ended evolution and said that we cannot change. You are an animal and you are based on instincts and you have no control over that. That's not true. It's not true. We would not have civilization if that was true. We would still be fighting over food sources. Oh, shit. Okay, maybe we haven't evolved as far as we think we have. That's just a joke. But it's, well, it's a joke that's real. But what I'm saying is if we didn't have self, if we didn't have ego, we would not be a slightly more evolved consciousness that gets to control things. And this is where education, beliefs, language, relationships, emotions, all of these things come in and compound together for this thing we call reality. And it's very important that we know that there is a shitload of breakdown to it and we can get into the very small minutia and also we can take a huge overview look and just call it something like I do and say mental health or depression. And it's a tool to be used. Yours doesn't have to be that word. This is the jumping off point of this particular podcast into a world of things we don't often look at. Or maybe we get shunned for, or maybe we don't take very seriously. Because in my reality, there's a lot out there we don't talk about. It doesn't make it not true. Maybe it's a little weird. Some people call it woo-woo. It doesn't make it not true. It doesn't make it not useful. I haven't found anything that's almost not completely in some way useful. If you give a thought or an idea or an object or a person enough time and effort, it's useful. Or you find that it's not useful. And that in and of itself is useful. Duality. Two sides to the same coin. Balance. For something to be useless, it must be useful. For something to be useful, it must be useless. They are a measurement of themselves. It is a duality. It is two sides of the same coin. Use. Well, not everything can be used, but some things can be used. And I can use my awareness of this mental state I call depression to focus on things, to be creative, to come up with new ideas, to understand that maybe that person's just a little sad today and I should give him a little breath, give him a little room or shit. My client's late. Murr. No, not murr, not fuck them. Maybe they got no car accident on the way. Maybe that's why they didn't show up. Maybe the cat threw up on the floor and they were trying to get out the door and fucking cats puking everywhere. And they're like, God damn it. And they get all mad and angry. And then they're late to their appointment. I don't know. I wasn't there. That's reality. That's the reality I live in. I wasn't there. I didn't see it. I don't know. I'm not saying give everybody the benefit of the doubt, but understand that like, you don't know everything. That's my reality. My depression tells me I don't know shit, which means I can constantly keep learning. I can constantly find new things. I can constantly seek out new information. It's like Star Trek in here. That's reality. Be it real or not real, that doesn't fucking matter. There's a lot of things that aren't real, quote unquote. They can make you think, 
It can benefit you as a human being, as a thought process. I love, uh, yeah, we use love. I've talked before about, I don't know what love is, but that's on a relationship level. As far as liking things, I really like Daisuke. Big like. Sci-fi. It's a great mental exercise to like think about like what would happen in space? Oh, inertia forces. Where would technology might take us or history? Another great subject to think about the lessons that could be learned from the methods and the, the ways that people did things. We're pretty terrible at learning from history, but you know, at least we try sometimes. These are the things that make up reality. In most systems, you'll find three pieces. The internal, the physical, and the external. The unseeable. A lot of meditation practices and practices. Systems. Systems define reality. That's, that's the biggest... That's the biggest avenue you can take as, a, as looking at something is to look at something and realize that the systems define the realities. So what are the systems you're using? Where'd you get those systems from? How does those systems affect you? Are those systems important to you? Do they, do they specifically give you any advantages? Do they maybe hinder you in some way? This podcast, Taming Hindrances, is about taming hindrances. Hindrances can be the five hindrances from Buddhism. Sure. They can be hindrances in neurokinetics. Think. Tame hindrances in neurokinetics. Taming hindrances in neurokinetics. Think. Or an acronym thereof. What pieces of reality are hindering you? What are they stopping you from doing? What is your perspective of reality stopping you from doing? Do you want to be a better person? Would you like to improve something about yourself? Would you like to have more money? What system are you going to use to make that a reality? Because you have to work inside the systems. That's true to all things. That is a principle of the universe, of the mysteries. One of the mysteries is this idea of working inside of a system. And it's one I've, I've come to understand more recently, but it's one I've always known. And we're, we're taught it very young, but we're never really taught what it means. You have to work inside the system. That's a principle to the universe. If you don't work inside the system, you, you're trying to break reality. Because the reality of these systems is they have, they have a defined set of structures, a design, there's a defined education to them, there's a defined belief to them, there's a defined language to them, there's defined relationships inside of them, and there's defined emotional responses that go along with them. Or building thereof emotions. These are systems. Systems to reality. I can talk extensively about the system of massage the modalities thereof. I can talk about Tai Chi and its systems. Other martial artists can talk about their systems. People can talk about transcendental meditation as a system. 
Hatha yoga as a system. Hot yoga. Corporate training as a system. Starbucks method of serving you overpriced coffee. The financial systems. You have to work inside the systems to work with their reality and the realities that come therefrom. For that defines the reality thereof, of what your reality is. What is your system? What is your reality? What's your go-to way of looking at something? Mine is to take my depression and then apply it to the situation. My depression is the culmination of all of my research, all of my education, all of my beliefs, all of the language I've learned, all of the relationships I've been through or have or want, all my emotional responses I've ever had or, or want to have. That's my depression. My depression defines my reality. And I am constantly challenging my depression. I'd ask you to challenge yours. I'd ask you to push back on that depression a little bit, that mental health state, that mental illness, that mental awareness. Push on it a little bit and see if it gives. It might be safe in doing it. Use medical help and intervention if necessary. Use relationships if necessary. Use resources as you can or as you will. Remember, I'm not a medical professional. I cannot diagnose or prescribe. I'm not a psychologist. I've just had my own experience with this. I'm trying to share it with you. I pushed on my depression. And it fucking caved. It gave, it gave right in. Because that's what it's designed to do. Depress. It's, it's designed just to, to depress. Just take the big inflation and just depress it. Take the happy moment, sink it. Take the jubilation, make fear out of it. Take the great success, turn it into anxiety. As above, so below. If, it's, if it can do all those things, I can press on it a little bit and change its, its, its firmament, change its reality. So I did. And I turned it into an understanding of other people. People are my business. That's what I do. So I can tell you, you have control over your reality. The system is where you might be lacking. That's maybe where you don't have enough understanding to work with the reality you're in. I came from a shitty, fucked up family in a troubled home. I spent a couple years in high school. Maybe it wasn't a couple years, but it was almost a year. I think it might've just been almost about a year. I shouldn't say a couple years. Just try to be a little bit more accurate. I spent, let's just call it a bunch of months in high school, living in a house all by myself because my mom decided to remarry and moved in with that guy. Fine. Turned out he wasn't a, it wasn't a bad guy at all. My reality was I was looking at that person from a previous experience I had. Here's a complicated one for you. My mom got remarried. My father had cheated on my mother. She was single for a very long time after he left. She was trying to raise kids. She was a single mother. She worked like three jobs, trying to get shit done, 
create her own business. She built her own business in the end. Do I speak to my mother anymore? No, we haven't spoken in years. I'm not saying she's a bad person though. I don't, I don't call anybody in my family bad necessarily. I don't give a shit about the, the reality is I don't care about the descriptive terms that can happen. Shit happened. Here's the examples. Well, well, let's move on. So my mom decided to get remarried. She decided to get remarried to this guy who I had known when I was little. His wife who passed away, his first wife who passed away, used to watch me. And to be honest, she was pretty mean. She definitely hit me a couple times. Like, took the belt to me type of hitting. Which was apparently okay in my parents' eyes because they never stopped her from doing it. And to be honest, no one did. She was kind of a kind of a bit of a mean person. I was a little too small to like give you a great representation to be like, she was a shitty person. No, she was just mean. She yelled at me a lot. I got hit. I watched myself around her very like, like on edge. And I hated being watched by her. I used that reality and applied it to this person. This, this person my mom got married to. I was like, this guy fucking sucks because of the shitty situation I went with. When in reality, he was probably being presented with the same thing every fucking day. I had to go home to that. Yelling. Physical abuse, probably. Like, shitty situation. But I lumped him into this reality of, ah, I fucking hate going over to this house. It's just a bad time and I don't want to do it. But like, had to put me somewhere to someone to watch me. This was the answer. Fast forward a bunch of years. She decides to marry the guy who in my eyes, I'm lumping into like, fuck this dude. Fuck that reality. Hated that. Turns out super nice dude. Super helpful. Tried to teach me stuff. Let me stay in his home after she moved out of the house we were living in to go live with him. And I stayed. I'm in high school. I got a car. I can drive. I have a job, two jobs actually, at that time. I'm working three days out of the week. I think it was my my junior or senior year. But anyway, I was working a couple days out of the week at the school and then going to class. I was in a pie up program. But I also had other, like, other jobs. I was just living on my own teenager, probably 17, living on my own, 16, 17, living on my own. Every once in a while, my mom would stop by and drop some food off. She made sure I was fine. You know, she had paid the rent, I guess. I don't know. It was cheap rent. I was like, this was a shitty rundown farmhouse. I'm in the middle of nowhere. She just left me to live on my own because I was being stubborn because I was like, I fucking hate this dude. I don't like this guy. I don't want to live with this guy. I don't want to like do that. I was already like trying to escape my family at that point anyway, trying to be like crafty and come up with new ideas. I, was, I already had plans in motion to get out of there as soon as possible. Turns out, in the end, I should have just gotten to know the guy. He's actually really nice. And living with him would have sucked, kind of, but like would have been a better idea than what I did if I could have just sucked it up and dealt with that situation. Now, be end end all. I was going to get away from my family no matter what, but this dude wasn't that bad. He's quiet spoken. Nice. Again, very helpful. If I wanted to learn something mechanically, he would have taught me if I needed to like, you know, like didn't force me to do shit. Like he wasn't like, take out the fucking trash. He was like, 
Nice. He's a nice guy. But I thought he was an asshole because I knew nothing about him. Because the reality I came from was his first wife hit me, yelled at me a lot, and I lumped him into that. What a shitty reality to have implied against him, right? So you learn. Ooh, take a step back. Am I looking at this from a reality that's not, not true? That I've created? Did I create this reality? Ooh. Was this a correct reality to create? That's how you can push on your depression, on your mental health state, on your mental illness. You can push at it. See if it gives. Am I like anxiety attacks suck? I've been through them. Fucking horrible. No, you can't control it. It's a bunch of rush of in the mental health world, there are chemical compounds in the body. There's just shit happening. Hormones, your whole endocrine system. We can't always control those things. Neuroepinephrine is a hell of a drug you produce in your body. Epinephrine. Adrenaline. It's the pre-calyx to an adrenal rush. Tells Tells the adrenal glands, produce adrenaline. Get hype. Well, if something is out of imbalance in that system, you don't have control over that. You have no control over that reality. This is where I was talking about how the mind is the student. The body is the teacher. We, in the Western world, have this thought process that we are. I am me, physical. The reality I live in, there's a separation there. I'm a mind and a body and a, a presence or presence. That makes up my reality. So when I push on my depression, when I talk about pushing on the mental illness, one of those pushes can simply be talking to your doctor and getting an optimal blood panel done, an optimal vitamin blood panel done to optimize the vitamins in your system to see what you might be lacking. And I'm going to get farther into some of this stuff as we go on now, because again, this is the, this reality subject is the jumping off point of all the weird shit that's out there. I mean, we never maybe get talked about or we never get told. We just don't know exists that could benefit us in some way from tarot readings to astrology to point on point vitamin health levels or vitamin levels for health to sauning to all these different things that go into systems that interact with each other that maybe we don't have control over because that's reality. If we're not working in the system, we're having no effect. We have to work inside the systems. That's reality. That's one of the great mysteries of life. First one I've talked about in this podcast is everything has to have balance. Second one I'm talking about now is you have to work in the system. One of those you find in what's called quote unquote energy healing or energy work or just energy work on oneself, Qigong, Reiki, some Ayurvedic practices that have energy healing involved, crystals, those types of things. You have to be working inside those systems or it's not going to work. You can't mix and match. If you do mix and match, you have to somehow create your own new system. I've done that. It's very difficult. I'm not saying don't try, but 
it takes a lot of work and time and effort and knowledge and understanding and definitely a lot of fucking wisdom. I'm not saying I'm like some genius or anything, but like it takes time to get that stuff down because you need to understand some of these mysteries of you have to work inside the system and the system you're working inside of constantly. You don't think about is your body. If you look at reality, there are multiple pieces to it. It's not just a static one idea. There's the firmament. There's me. I can touch me. I can touch my skin. I can touch my physical being. There's the non-perceived energy basis around us at all times, be it from a bioelectric field to the sun's radiation. That all exists in the world of energy, quote unquote, which includes spirit and spirituality and Shen and all these other ideas that all gets wrapped into that world. That's, that's the description of it. It's all out there. Then there's the internal, the mental, the, the inside, the mind, the consciousness, the control center. That's not really a control center. It's the student. I can't think. Okay. Create dopamine. Feel good. body's not listening because the body's a teacher. The mind is the student. The mind is interpreting everything that's happening in the body around us all the time from our corpuscles, figuring out if I'm cold or hot to all the other different things that go involved here. That's reality. The reality is the body is the teacher and the mind is the student. Remember, repetition is the mother of all skill. Failure is its father. So, if I want to push on my mental illness a little bit, maybe push on my depression or create some more self-awareness, I might look at the process of the human body. I might educate myself on anatomy and physiology and become better at understanding the belief structures of medical science and the languages that are used inside of that and the relationships I can have with my body and my health structure that might change my emotional states. would challenge anyone having any physical or mental ailment that's repetitively causing them issue to look at their vitamin intake and look at their blood levels for what their optimum vitamin levels are. I would imagine something's going to be out of balance. Now again, I'm not a doctor. I cannot diagnose or prescribe. But does your doctor have the time to sit there and be like, okay, they have this autoimmune disease or they have anxiety or they're in some depressive state or, you know, this, that, and the other thing. And it's because of this one specific idea. No, your doctor, I'm sorry to tell you, does not have the time to take, to look at every individual and figure out what's wrong with them. That's not how the Western medicine system works. The Western medicine system is designed to save lives. That's what it's designed to do. Acute medicine. If you're having a heart attack, go to the fucking hospital. They'll figure it out and they'll save your life. If you have excessive bleeding that's not stopping, go to the hospital or stop the bleeding. Like it's the Western medicine system, Western medical system is based on acute symptoms and acute treatment because it's based on saving lives. We created this from the invention of penicillin. 
That was really like the, the big stepping off point. So when we created penicillin and we could stop disease, we could acutely treat things that were killing people rapidly. And then we created medicine in the form of a pill structure that didn't exist until we designed those ideas. In the Eastern practices, medicine was a encompassment of holistic, what we call holistic practice, or knowing that this herb or this, you know, root will have this effect on the human system or, oh, okay, they're suffering this ailment, which is causing this effect, which can be taken care of by taking this sub, you know, this product or creating, drinking this tea. But it was a, a dealing with, of symptomatic ideas and then how to get to the root cause of and eliminate that. Qigong as a practice is to eliminate the hindrances of the flow of Shen, the flow of spirit, of Qi, internal Qi. Nagong was the release or incorporation and cultivation of the, the physical Qi, the physical representation. And there was the spiritual Qi, Shen. So you had internal Qi, external Qi, Nagong, Qigong, Shen. This was a system used in the Eastern world from all over the Ayurvedic medicine, you know, all different types of ideas that came from a holistic idea of whole, the whole system. What is it responding to? They have dampness. Do they have, you know, we don't use that system in the West. We use, okay, you have a fever, bring the fever down. It's acute. We're looking at an acute symptom and treating it with an acute process. That saves lives. It really does. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but that's what it's designed to do. So it's completely two different realities. The Western medical system saves lives acutely. Heart attacks, stop heart attacks. Heart stopped, get heart to beat again. The Eastern systems were all based on not having that penicillin idea, not having the cold, take that, be fine, of the, okay, here are symptoms, what's causing the symptoms? Eliminate that. If you're getting gout, stop fucking eating rich foods. Da-da, no more gout. <laughs> what is causing the buildup of uric, uric acid, which is what's causing the crystalline structures to form inside the joints, which is what gout is. What's causing that? Stop doing it. That's, they might treat the physical ailment of like, oh, I don't have gout. Okay, well, here's what's going to help break up the uric acid in the joints and help your body process it, get rid of the inflammation situation in the area, help your kidney and your liver more effectively process things, take some milk thistle, you know, blah, 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 blah. This was their method and their reality of treatment. Then we invented penicillin and straight up pill medicine and we got Western treatment. So it's a different reality structure. That's why I challenge you you're having a mental or physical ailment that's plaguing you constantly to first look at homeostasis of the vitamin structure inside of your system. Are you lacking something? Who knows? You have to go get a blood panel and look at that. Western medicine is great at doing those types of diagnostics. So great that 
even traditional Chinese medicine now uses like blood panels and like they've incorporated those ideas. It's really weird how the Eastern world has all about incorporation and the Western world, not so much. I often say Hinduism, the Hindu people, the way of the Hindu people is a, the great incorporators. That's they've just, it's just the Ayurvedic medicine is the great incorporator from Indian, Hindu, all these different, there's cultures in the middle there. If we look west to eastern, that middle ground is the middle ground. It's great incorporators. They just incorporate everything. Oh, that works? Cool. Awesome. Take it. Oh, yeah, we'll figure out how to put that into it. That's the reality. That's the more than firmament, the more than spirituality, the more than... There's always all of these different systems, and you have to work inside of them. And the system you live in is called the human system. You live in a human body. You, your consciousness, the one I'm speaking to right now. You might not know it, you live in a human body. That's where you live. The human body is a bunch of systems all copesthetically working together to continue existing. There's not much different between us and like a coral reef. It's a bunch of systems all designed to work with each other for the betterment and health perspective of homeostasis of the system. That's what our body is. It's a bunch of organisms working together. You have a umpteen, I think it's million, bacteria on your skin doing stuff, scrubbing it clean. We're gross. Humans are gross. We have all sorts of bacteria on our skin constantly, all the time. But there's a barrier there. There's a cellular barrier, some bioelectric barrier too, that that bacteria doesn't get through. Unless you get a cut, and then it gets in there and then it does weird stuff and not good. But that bacteria is there, it's just chilling, hanging out, eating other bacteria, eating some of the dirt that gets on you. It's like, oh, I'm going to eat that. That looks tasty. It's doing stuff. That's in the external. Internally, there's other organisms. Your whole stomach system is this microbiome of all sorts of different bacteria and different things that are just doing stuff for you, the human system. They're just in there, like gobbling up bad shit, letting the good stuff go, helping absorb things, break down things, all sorts of stuff happening. Your cells are cells. They're just their own thing. Yeah, we gave them coding from our genetic. It's called DNA, mRNA, tells them to do stuff. But they're their own little thing. They live in their own little reality. A white blood cell, its reality, kills shit that's not supposed to be here. They're like little warriors running around. They're great at it. Dendrites. Ends of nerve clusters. Sending signals. That's the reality. Send signals. Get Receive signals. That's what your nervous system's doing constantly. You are a set of systems all working inside their system. They don't when they start working outside their system, bad shit happens. They don't do that. That's not, that's what cancer is. Cancer is like a fungus. It's, it's kind of, it's a very good example, actually. Antifungals can, I'm not going to get into that. It's going to get me in trouble. Um, but the cancer is when a, a cell gets transformed to not, it doesn't work inside of its system anymore. That's cancer. Get rid of it. 
scurvy treated by vitamin C is cancer. Cells broke down, became something they're not supposed to be. They're not working the way they're supposed to be. Scurvy killed it with vitamin C. Vitamin C protects the cell. Done. I'm probably going to get in trouble for saying that. But anyway, that's a topic you got to be careful about talking about. But the human system is a bunch of different little systems all working in homeostasis together. If it's not in balance, it's not getting the nutrition it needs, if it's not getting the vitamins it needs, the supplementation, how do you expect it to work appropriately? You can't imply your reality to that without breaking it. Same goes for the mind. The mind's fed by that system. The mind is a consciousness. And we'll get into that more the brain, let's put it that way, the brain gets fed information and gets fed nutrients to help tell the rest of the system an overarching idea of what should be happening. But it has efficiency levels. And if you're low in iron and your blood's thinning and it's not getting the nutrients it needs because maybe you're also low in vitamin D, which means your melatonin levels might be low and you're not getting appropriate sleep, which is causing you to build up oxidative stress in the brain, which is then causing neural patterns not to fire correctly. And thus you're getting this foggy clarity of the world you're living around. And it just makes you feel tired and just down all the time. Well, you've just created a reality of fuck this. I feel like shit. Not sleeping well. I'm not understanding what's going on around me. I feel slog, sluggish and tired and just things are shitty. That's the reality you just created. Because a bunch of other systems weren't working correctly or not getting the nutrition they need or the, didn't have the fuel or necessity of values to work optimally. That's why optimal vitamin levels is a great place to start when it comes to health. And that in its own statement, might get me fucking banned from the internet because now let's say shit like that nowadays because that's the reality we live in now. It's the reality we're allowing to be implied upon us is that censorship is okay. You can't say shit about anything without someone fact-checking it and saying it's correct, even though those fact-checkers are paid by, by organizations that want certain things to be true because no one's willing to go out and do their fucking research to figure out if it's right or wrong because they're allowing others to imply reality upon them and it's not true reality because it has nothing to do with what they actually believe nothing to do with what they were educated upon nothing to do with the language people are using around them nothing to do with the relationships they've built and nothing to do with the emotions oh wait it has to do with all of that and the manipulation thereof and that is why having your own understanding of the reality in which you work from live in and are a part of is the most powerful thing you can create. Mine comes from my understanding of my depression. And it is strong and people hate it. Because it's just copacetic. It's a very, very, 
I don't have words to describe it as of yet. I've, I've been working on that for a very long time and maybe I'll come up with it eventually, but things don't affect me. I just go about my day. If something happens, it happens. There's only two major emergencies in my life. Uncontrollable bleeding and asphyxiation. Those are the only two things that immediately lead to death. Other than that, you could probably figure it out. And yes, my reality used to be I wanted to die. That changed, though, when I educated myself further, when I created a new belief system that I really, truly do believe in, that the language I was using and the languages that were around me, I started to control more and I started to look at. And the relationships that I was in and building and the relationships I didn't want to be in, I moved away from. And the control of my emotions came thereafter and thereof. And I was able to create a new reality that I live in that isn't necessarily suicidal. Physically. Is there some self-harm? Certainly. It's part of my reality. One of the reasons I get tattoos is because that's a controlled version of self-harm to me. One that has a great outcome in the end. I, I like getting tattooed. I like the tattoos I get. Typically enjoy the conversations while I'm getting them. It's the only vacation I take. Those are my vacations. Those are my days off. I go get tattooed. That's my reality. I created that reality. That reality no longer includes trying to kill myself physically. Instead, it actually includes trying to produce whatever longevity I can to, in perpetuity, <laughs> be here to learn enough to stop what I believe is the process of reincarnation. Because I'm done and I don't want to do it anymore. But that's my reality. I defined it. And I started from depression. And the reason I bring that up is because you can do the same thing if you just push on it a little bit. Just depress it. Just push on the push on the mental health a little bit. I understand maybe you're not in control of it. Maybe there is a chemical imbalance you're not aware of. And solving that chemical balance in a safe manner, not just throwing drugs at it, but really coming up with a plan. Maybe it's optimum vitamins. Maybe it is a medication, but, you know, maybe it's a, these are tough things to get into. Remember, I'm not a doctor and cannot diagnose or prescribe, but maybe it's inflammation based and all the inflammation in your body is causing the chronic pain, which is causing the feeling of fuck this, I'm done. And maybe taking turmeric or, you know, some sort of anti natural anti-inflammatory is a step in the right direction. I don't know. I'm not you. But there are options. In a world where we're told there's no options and the only option is to take a fucking pill and shut up, I'm here to tell you that's not true. That's not reality. Reality is there's options. You get to choose them. All of them, all, almost all. I, I can't say 90, I can't say 100%, but I can say a majority of the systems of expanding one's mind philosophy, metaphysics, all of these things are based on choice. 
most religions are based on the idea of choice. Choice is a very powerful part of reality. You get to choose. Some choices are made for us. Some we get to make ourselves. You choose how you suffer. You choose your reality. And from that comes mental fortitude. When choice is applied. When the soldier chooses to go into combat, that, that choice is mental fortitude. Yes, they might die. When the spouse or significant other chooses to see them off at the airport, there's mental fortitude. It's a tough moment. When the person to the knife to the wrist decides, chooses to not move the knife, Mental fortitude. To be honest, if they do move the knife, that's mental fortitude too. It's choice. It's choice. You can choose your reality. But inform yourself. Make sure you're informed. Make sure it's an informed choice. There's nothing more important to choice than informment. Be fully informed about the choice you're making. You cannot fault yourself if you are not fully informed. That you cannot do. And you cannot make or have the ability to make, quote unquote, a good decision or make a decision well if you're not informed. And that's where education comes in. That's where beliefs come in. That's where language, relationships, emotions. If you're not having an awareness of those things, you're not informed. You're not informed of the reality in which you live in, the choice in which you live in, the choices in which you're living in. So I challenge you, look at your education. What were you educated on? True? Do you believe it? What are your beliefs? What do you believe in? Do you believe science? Do you believe bullshit? <laughs> do you believe, you know, what are the languages you're surrounded by? What language do you use regularly? How does language affect you? What are the relationships you're in? Did you choose them? Are they being chosen for you? What would you choose if, if that was the case? If you did have choice, what would it be? What are the emotions you're feeling? How are they affecting your choices? How are they affecting your reality? Constantly questioning things is a really good way to start to build self-awareness. And it's a really good way to check mental health. Is to take a second Take a minute, take a breath and push back a little bit and question. That's what all of the philosophical and metaphysical writers throughout history have been trying to convey is simply to question beginner's mind to constantly be questioning. So that is my truest challenge to the topic of reality is to cultivate a beginner's mind and to do so, the first step is to question everything and to never stop. Remember, the difference between knowledge and wisdom is wisdom is knowing where to, answer, where to find the answer. Knowledge is just knowing 
the answer to the question. I find it's better to be wise than to be knowledgeable. But I cannot be wise if there are no questions. It's the same side. It's two sides to the same coin. It's balance. It's duality. So go question, question some more, and fucking question even more than that. That's all I have for you today. Come back and see us again or see me again and listen uh, to some more topics as we go farther into the conversations of self-awareness and mental health. Again, this is the subject of reality and it's the jumping off point to get into some more different things, as we can say. More woo, more more, more areas of topics of discussion. We're, we're talking about everything, not just the normal shit, all of the shit. Astrology, tarot, all of these different things, different ways of looking at the world, different ways of cultivating self-awareness and different ways of maybe controlling our mental health. Take care. Thanks for listening. Come check us out at taminghindrances.com for show notes, links, resources, and more. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the show via iTunes, Stitcher, RSS, or your preferred platform. If you leave us a spiffy review, we might just mention it on the show. Now go be awesome. And just remember to breathe.